Welcome to the Molding Private Practice Show, where we help healthcare practitioners in private practice keep true to their purpose and build a life of mastery by providing the knowledge, skills, and tools to bring their dreams to life. In this episode, we speak to Zahira Sidat, an educational psychologist based in Johannesburg, South Africa, about her private practice and everything private practice management related. Zahira Sidat, welcome to the show. So, we actually just did an amazing podcast on, um, you know, play therapy and stuff like that. Uh, and I thought, you know, we'll almost be missing an opportunity if we didn't also speak to you as a private practice owner and talk about you as a psychologist and and why, you know, why did you actually become a psychologist? So I'm, I'm sure there's a story to that. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how you started, you know, what made you become a, a therapist? Hmm. So I think initially I was always very drawn to working with kids. Um, I've always enjoyed, you know, being sort of the mother of the group or, um, you know, like um, helping younger kids who were just a few years younger than me. So that was a lot of the initial appeal. And I can actually recall being in grade seven, um, them asking us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there was two choices on that list. One was an educational psychologist and the other teacher. So my mind was already, as you can see, gone straight to working with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but choosing to become an educational psychologist was quite a personal one. And I think there were a lot of personal instances and influences to that choice. Um, but I think one of the main things was that I grew up feeling very empathic towards others. I'd I remember feeling a lot more than, um, you know, being able to say things, I'd feel more. And Mm. I didn't know how to make sense of it. I didn't know how to express it. It it became very overwhelming. And as a lot of, because of that, I was a very emotional child, um, often cried and things like that. Um, So, you know, Growing up and, you know, being able to get a hang of that a bit better, going to my own therapy, processing a lot of everything. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to do was to try and understand people growing up. I wanted to make sense of them. And then you throw working with kids in the mix. And then I'm just like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Um, I don't think I truly knew what I was getting myself into when I was studying um, because, you know, you, you have the idea of what it is and then you get to university and you, you're told about all the requirements that you need to become an educational psychologist and your heart kind of drops because you don't know if you're going to make it. Um, but thankfully, I'm here. And I think the main thing is that I, I am happy doing what I am doing. I'm, I feel so happy that I'm able to help not just kids, but other people make sense of what is going on in their mind and to give them some sort of containment and, um, you know, to alleviate some of their worries and anxieties. And I, I, I enjoy doing that. Mm. I, I like, I, I mean, that, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, Shaz and I said it in, in previous episodes as well, but you know, it's amazing that most of our, our, because we work, you know, primarily with healthcare practitioners, but they always have this calling, you know, what you said now, See, because all of the things you said, I would turn and run the other way. <laughs> you know, it's like working with children. <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, most of our clients have that calling and they say they want to do that. The other thing I know from personal experience, you know, with my wife, um, who's a psychologist as well, but, you know, 
you almost like don't know what you're getting into, but I like the way how you said it. You know, you when she found out what the requirements are, because it's quite a it's quite a difficult process to become a psychologist. You know, there's not many spaces every year uh, that are open. You know, it's not like becoming I don't know a marketing person or something like that, where you have you know a lot more opportunities because the universities only take a certain quota. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So each university is dependent on how many they take a year to train within each of their different um, psychology courses. So you've got like, for example, that has a clinical psychology, they've got counseling psychology, educational psychology, and then industrial psychology. Um, and then also a research one, which is not um, like it doesn't involve a lot of therapy. Um, so yeah, they, and I know it, but in my year, they only took 12 of us. Um, so it, it's very few and it's a process and you've got to work very hard to get there. Um, and you don't know this as a kid in school, that this is what it's going to take to become, um, educational psychologist, but, um, thankfully I found out early enough, um, mm-hmm. in my university years to, to like be like, okay, this is the path and this is the goal. And I could set those goals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, so we'll, we'll spin into the business side of it because, you know, the one thing is the calling and, and getting there. But what I found was quite uh, difficult was when you actually got there, at least now, I mean, um, I think, you know, even, you know, even the internships, they pay a lot more and stuff like that. And if you work for government, but I know like 10 years ago, they didn't pay that much as well. So, so one was getting there. And then the second one was like, you know, you're not, you don't even earn that much. Um, but, you know, in private practice, obviously different, but can you, can you tell us, so the one thing was becoming a psychologist, but then the other thing was becoming a psychologist in private practice. What was that Mm. like? A very scary choice to make. Um, so after my internship, I actually was working at two different NGOs. Um, I wanted to, um, sort of grow my skills as a psychologist. Um, so I was working at two NGOs that both offer mental health services to their communities. So the one is um, JPCCC, where I still work at, and the other was Ububele, and they are based in Bramley. And so I worked at both of them just so I could grow and develop my skills and um, just feel a bit more competent. And I think those were also safer spaces for me because it felt more familiar and um, I could grow. And then coming towards the end of last year, that's when actually, you know, I saw um, a position to join a practice, um, a private practice. And I took a chance and I said, let me interview. I doubt I'll get it, but let me just try my best and let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. And um, thankfully, I got a call and said, you know, we'd like you to join our practice. Um, You know, thankfully, I had you know, someone here who was willing to show me the ropes, who showed me how the admin works, the invoicing, things like that. Um, so thankfully, I had her to mentor me. Otherwise, I think I'd be very, very lost. Um, okay. So that helped me. And she pushed me over the edge to actually say, come on, you can do this. Just start your private practice. So towards the end of last year in October, I started off with just three clients and I would I saw them until December. Um, and then, yeah, and then this year it was pretty much starting afresh. So I'm very new into private practice. It's, I'm 
going through all the challenges. I'm learning as I go along because it's been about 10 months only. Um, and it has been so many ups and downs. So Shaz, do you have anything? Um, so there's no one I trust more around private practice management than Shaz. So Shaz, <laughs> anything, anything you want to ask Zahira in terms of the first few months? Yeah, so <clears throat> look, everybody that I've spoken to has always said that first few months is, it's like trying to climb a mountain, um, especially because at no point during all your years of studying to become a psychologist, did they ever do a module that said, okay, one day you might own a business and you need to know these few things. Um, so I'm glad to see that you said, you know, the admin was a hurdle, but have you found that, you know, you've managed to get the correct tools to kind of make sure that that admin doesn't swamp you, that you're not sitting doing invoicing at 11 o'clock at night like some of the horror stories I've heard? <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I've got a system going. Um, so I have my invoicing days or sort of hours that I would sit and, um, you know, sort all of that out. Um, I use a lovely invoicing system that helps me it's quite efficient to submit claims to medical aid, um, submit invoices to clients. So it really helps um, with the admin side of it, with it not feeling so um, like overwhelming. Um, it's, it feels manageable. Yes, sometimes life happens and things get in the way where I can't always stick to my, um, you know, my days and those hours because something or the other happens, but it is manageable. And I do feel like you do get a hang of it as long as you find that routine um, and, you know, you find that odd morning or few hours in the afternoon where you really feel like you can just get it done and, and then, yeah. Mm. So I like, I like that and it kind of correlates with what I found with the you know, with most of the practitioners, they're actually quite diligent about admin. You know, so they always tell us, you know, actually they're not good at admin, but I, I find most of our clients are pretty good with admin. You know, they know, they. I, I think they just don't use the right tools, but but with the admin side, you know, they normally have either a book or something or an Excel spreadsheet or something, you know, where they have a sense of what's going on. Um, but, you know, where we've been on in the last few years has been around it's not just about invoicing, you know, because invoicing, yes, mm -hmm. it's important and stuff like that. But there's also the the business building side of it, and there's also the um, the almost, I want to say personal assistance. But you know, you need someone to do things. So like, you need someone to phone the medical aid to find out, you know, is this claim going to be paid or not? You know, do I need this or or something like that? Have you found that kind of cropping up in the last? you know, since you've been in private practice, or do you mm. find that, you know, you're kind of on top of everything? And I would lump, you know, maybe even like growing your private practice in terms of the same basket as well, because, you know, you're at a certain level, you know, do you want to get to the next level? Have you found anything like that in terms of um, a need for it? Yeah, definitely. I do wish I had someone to do the admin for me. Like, um, it would literally, it would take a lot off my plate. Honestly, it would. Um, but I do feel that with my current routine and getting that sort of having discipline in place, um, it's, it's not as bad as I think it is. I think, yes, sometimes there's the odd claim here and there where um, you've got to now follow up with the medical aid and like ask them why is this not being paid and stuff. And that can take a lot of time out of your day. 
um, admin alone, like if you sit and do it daily, it can take like an hour, an hour and a half of your day where you just like email responding, sorting out clients, booking appointments, um, you know, all of that confirming sessions. It, it can become a lot and you lose your time to do the other work that you need to do. And then on top of that, you know, that it's not just the admin, the invoicing, your filing. It's, um, you know, after each session that you have with a client, you write up notes for those clients. And so you need time to actually sit and to, to think about your client and what happened in the session and what was the important things and, you know, what are we going to work on going forward? And, you know, all of that has to be done after each session with each client, which, you know, accumulates to a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I do, I think because my practice is still starting out and because, you know, I don't have a massive client base where, um, you know, I'm so overwhelmed. I can do manage the admin with um, seeing all my clients. However, I do think, or I do hope in the future that if I do become so busy that I would be able to get an assistant. I think that would help tremendously. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always more curious about whether, um, whether there's a need for something rather than, you know, obviously, you know, punting any services or anything like that. But, uh, you know, almost everyone that I met always said that, and, and I can talk about, you know, from, from our own business, you know, as soon as I started hiring, uh, you know, more people on the team, I just found like our business just took over, you know, just got to another level. And I find that the same with practitioners as well. You know, as soon as they have someone to just to take that off their plates, they seem to do better, Um so yeah, that seems you know that, that's the only thing I would suggest is mm. you know just figure out when is the right time for you. But I always use the you know use the example that you know these these things are just holding you down, and as soon as you know you let go you know you let go of that stuff, it seems to you know free you up to be um, a much more, more busier available. therapist. Mm. Mm. Definitely. Um, anything else around, I know we're almost out of time, uh, anything else around private practice and manage or private practice that, you know, if you had to, I like how you said, you know, you receive mentorship. So if someone was listening to this and they said, you know, I really like Zaira's story and at some point I want to become an educational psychologist, is there anything that you can kind of see as mentorship items that you would almost tell them, you know, you know, watch out for this or, you know, um, make sure you take care of this part of it. Hmm. I think the main thing I would say is have someone who can mentor you, approach someone. If it's a supervisor that you worked with and that you know is in in private practice and has experience, approach them, you know, consult with them, ask them for help on how to go about this from where can you go to rent out a room to to do your work? Um, how do I invoice? How do I? How does my invoice look even? Um, so ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And I think psychologists tend to rely on themselves a lot rather than reach out. So I think they you should really just reach out, ask for help, and that that's okay because it's a big step. Private practice is overwhelming because at the end of the day, a private practice is your income. It's your livelihood at the end of the day. You Loving your job and everything is a whole other thing, but it is what you need to survive at the end of the day. Mm. And I think consulting with someone who has had the experience and can mentor you and assist you, I think that would be 
number one thing to do, even if you just consult with them on a bi-weekly basis or monthly basis, but just to check in initially. Um, that's the one. I think the second is to just have patience, especially in the first few months or even, and I know the people I've spoken to, they say the first two, three years even is um, challenging. It's really challenging and difficult. And it's just about making your rent and um, trying to keep afloat and building your client base and getting your name out there. So I think it's just to be patient. Um, some weeks will be busy. Others are going to be quiet. Um, network as much as you can with other professionals. Um, you know, speak to colleagues that you've worked with. Let them know where you are. Have your business cards ready to go. Um, join referral groups or reading groups where you can meet other uh, professionals. Um, there are also sites um, that you can join if you want to get so where people can search for you and then they can find you um, one is called psychology today the other is called therapy root um, so some clients um, can contact you via these sites so yeah all very important for building your practice okay that's amazing um shares anything on your side uh, before we close up the only thing i would say from my side on top of what zahira said is you know when you're starting to think of going into private practice, yes, you need to find mentors to help and guide you. But I would also add you need to do a little bit of research into what tools or systems are out there to actually be able to assist you with your practice. And that could be anything from a telephone answering system through to, you know, like Zahira said, have you where to rent a room, what is the access controls to the centers and that kind of stuff, because it's your livelihood. So yes, loving your, what you do is phenomenal, but the moment you go into private practice, you do become a business owner. And I think so often that side of being a therapist isn't always covered and it's difficult to wear the two hats so when you do make that decision, just make sure that you've got a little bit of understanding behind you as to what it actually, what you need to do to run a business and be the best therapist that you can be. That sounds amazing. Um, thanks for this. Uh, um, I really, you know, we really appreciate it. And I think it's going to be a useful resource to any educational well aspiring educational psychologist or educational psychologists looking to start out because I think these are the things that not many people talk about as you said mm -hmm. unless you have a great mentor so thanks very much for your time thank you so much for having me thanks cool. very much Sahira. thank, thank you. you Oliver hey everyone thanks for listening as always stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode